Like they just assumed they were good. And so now they had begun to go into hypocrisy. And by hypocrisy, I mean they were saying, we're children of God, we're part of his possession. But they weren't living like children of God. Welcome, and today we are going to be starting a new series about what it really means to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we're going to be first really just learning more about who Jesus is, and then from that, we're going to be learning what it really means to genuinely follow and believe Him. You know, what are the things that He pays attention to? What are the things that He's motivated by? What are the things that Jesus expects? What are the things that Jesus is willing to tolerate? Which things is he not willing to tolerate? You know, I think that as we go into the study, we're going to be finding that Jesus doesn't really meet a lot of our expectations. And in fact, Jesus doesn't even seem to be interested in meeting our expectations. But my hope is that instead, you and I would be challenged to learn and then meet his expectations for our life. Let me uh, start with just a story uh, for you. You know, when I got my first job, I was about 17 years old, and I got my first job working at Sam's Club, uh, pushing carts in the parking lot. And uh, I know it's ironic. And uh, my older brother had begun working there probably about a year, maybe two years before. And he had built a really good reputation for himself by the way that he worked. And by extension, he built a good reputation for our family. And so when I went in and uh, you know, put in my application and sat down with a hiring manager about getting my own job, uh, the hiring manager looked at me and she said, listen, your brother is so great. If you work half as good as he does, I don't even need to hear anything more. I'm ready to hire you. And so I got this job based on the reputation of my family, right? Uh, but it didn't take long for me to realize that that didn't mean that I was automatically good or that I would automatically keep my job or succeed at my job. I actually had to do the work, right? Actually had to do the work that measured up to the reputation they already had, right? Uh, otherwise, I was going to lose that reputation, damage that reputation for my family, and possibly lose my job, right? So I, the reputation that I had there, my family had there, did not make me automatically good. I actually had to do the work. And you know, this is a mistake we make really when you think about it in a lot of areas of our life. Uh, maybe we have, uh, you know, relationships and we get into a good and healthy relationship. And so we start to assume I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to work in this relationship. And we stop investing time, uh, investing care, attention uh, into the people that we love because we think I'm good. And of course, if we do that, then we don't stay in a good, stable place for too long in that relationship, right? Or maybe we do this in our careers, right? Like once we get that good job, we think, man, my life is smooth sailing from here on out. I've got the good job I've always wanted, and I am good to go. And we assume we're fine. And then oftentimes we find out that we're not fine. Or maybe we get you know, a certain amount of money in our bank accounts, and we think, man, I've got this money. I am automatically good. And, uh, you know, money can go just as fast as it comes. We often learn that at a terrible price, don't we? You know, I think we make this exact same mistake 
in our relationship with God, right? We just assume that we're good with God. You know, we get saved. God begins to transform our lives a little bit. It's great. And then we just kind of go into this autopilot mode and we think, I'm good. You know, God, what would we say? We say things like, you know, God understands my heart. God's got grace for me. You know, those things are all true. But God also expects things out of our life and our behavior, right? God wants to see us living in a way that lines up to what he's done in our lives and what we say we actually believe about him. You know, this is a problem that really the whole Jewish nation had uh, during Jesus' time, right? When Jesus uh, comes to the earth, uh, this is really uh, the same kind of problem that the Jews had. And that is that, you know, the Jews were, uh, Israel was God's chosen nation, uh, according to his promises that he had given Abraham. And so for all these people that were, you know, genetically, ethnically descended from Abraham, they were like, we're good. We're, we're automatically good with God because we're part of Israel. And this ended up going into a lot of hypocrisy, you know, in their lives. And today we're going to read a conversation that John the Baptist has with many of these leaders who have the same attitude. Uh, let's see how he addresses and the things that he points out there. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. And even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, uh, those who repent for their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John's really pointing out here that they had become complacent in their relationship with God. Right? They just assumed they were good. And so now they had begun to go into hypocrisy. And by hypocrisy, I mean they were saying, we're children of God, we're part of his possession. But they weren't living like children of God. He, he tells them that they need to live in such a way that it shows their repentance, right? So in other words, he's accusing them of saying, you say that you've turned away from sin and that you're following God, but your life doesn't actually show that you have turned away from sin. In fact, you're continuing the same sin right now. And so he's challenging them. And you, know, you and I have that same challenge. Because John makes it really clear that Jesus knows the difference between what's real 
and we spake. That's this language we see here of, you know, the chaff and the wheat and the winnowing fork, right? You know, and, and this is an example they would have really understood at the time because of the culture they were living in. But, you know, back then they would have this big kind of pitchfork looking thing and they would take the wheat and they'd smash it all up and they'd throw it up into the air and the wind would kind of blow away all the all the parts of the plant, the leaves and all these little flaky things, right? That was the chaff. And, and, and it would blow away in the wind and then the wheat would fall back down to the ground and they would scoop that up and they would process it. And John is writing this analogy of, of, of that being us, that being Israel in that time, right? That he's saying, Jesus knows the difference between what's real and what's fake. He knows a true follower from a false follower. You can't fool him. You can't trick him. And he is paying attention. And so in our own lives, we, therefore, must be challenged by this passage to really live lives and, 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 and conduct ourselves and behave and speak and act in such a way that really shows that the things we say about God, that we say we love him, we say we believe him, but does our life actually show it? Can you, can you tell that those things are true by looking at my life? Or do I just say it but not really act like it? So, you're hearing me say all this, and you might be on board and you're going, okay, pastor, I hear you. Uh, I see the problem. What do I do about it? Okay, well, great news. I got two things, two simple things I would really encourage you to do today with what we're reading. First is just very simply, stop assuming that you're good with God. Stop assuming you're good with God, right? We know the truth about God's mercy and love and grace. And so often, you know, rather than really praying about it, rather than really, you know, evaluating our lives and saying, am I actually living in a way that matches what I say I believe about him? You know, that's assuming, right? Don't, don't do that. We, we want to stop assuming when we say, listen, am I really living in such a way where people can see and God can see in my actions, in my words, that I'm good? So if you've been doing that, if you've just been walking around living your own life and going, God's got grace, he knows my heart, you know, stop. That's the first thing I encourage you to do. Stop saying that kind of stuff and actually dig into the truth of what you're doing before the Lord. And, and, and as you do that, then yeah, you will experience God's grace and God's mercy for your mistakes and your failures. But you got to own it. You got to be honest about it. And you got to work at living consistently with what God's done in your life and what you say you believe by him. Okay. And the second thing then, right, is, yeah, live out what you actually say you believe about God, right? So very simple steps today. We want to stop assuming that we're good with God. We want to live out what we say we believe. Let me give you some examples of things that maybe you're saying you believe about God, but you're not really living it. Ready? Maybe you say you believe God will provide. But let me ask you, does that show in the way that you work your job or handle your money? Or maybe you say you believe God is on the throne, but do you actually submit your decisions to him? You might say that you trust God. But do you find yourself spending your time full of anxiety and fear? Or you know, maybe you say you know God loves you, but... Do you spend your time feeling shame and worthlessness? Or you might say that you know God hates sin. 
But do you just keep making excuses for the sin in your life rather than really addressing it? So just practically, if we say we believe something about God, then we must actually live like we believe it, right? If we say that something is true about God, we must also live like that thing is true. Now, I'm not talking about earning our salvation, right? I'm not talking about, you know, you're not really uh, saved unless you're doing these works. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is God has saved us by his mercy, by his work, not our own work. That's very clear. But then he calls us to live in such a way that matches it, right? We must, we must live in a way that is consistent. And that's what John the Baptist was talking about when he says, you need to show the fruit of your repentance. Don't just say you're repenting. Prove it. You know, I think that if we do this, I think that if we really put these steps into our life, if we stop assuming that we're good with God, and we actually begin to live like what we say about him is actually true about him. You know, there's a lot of benefits that we can expect to experience. But I think the biggest benefit, the biggest joy, is that we will go from just knowing about Jesus and hearing about Jesus to actually experiencing in a personal, relational way the presence of Jesus in our own lives. And that really is the greatest blessing that we could ever have. So maybe you've been living life and you've been going, you know, I hear about God, I hear about Jesus, but I don't really like experience him. Well, let me challenge you today. Maybe it's because you're just assuming that you're good and you're not really putting the work into that relationship. All right. But if we do put that work in the relationship, then we know we can expect to really experience the goodness and presence and the love of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. All right, well, I got, I got a couple of questions for you today uh, just to kind of consider and discuss in a group. Maybe if you're around friends or family or, you know, maybe you could uh, discuss these questions later this week just as you're thinking through what we've learned uh, today. Here's some group uh, kind of uh, easy discussion questions for you. Uh, the first one is, how can we take our responsibility with God for granted? What are the ways in which we do that? Second question is, does Jesus care about the details of our lives? And, and if he does, why? And the third question is, what does it really look like to turn away from sin? So I think those could be some great opportunities to just kind of discuss and kind of flesh out some of the things we've been learning uh, today. Now, this next set of questions I have for you, these are more personal, prayer time, devotional type questions. This is going to be a little more probing, a little more challenging. And I really encourage you to pray through these questions. Take them honestly before the Lord this week. Really pray about these and then, you know, maybe just write it down, take a, take a note, you know, whatever you'd like to do. To really dig into these questions and answer these honestly in the presence of the Lord this week. Now, here's the first question. First question is, what sin in your life have you been giving yourself a pass on? The second question is, in what ways have you been taking advantage of God's mercy and God's grace? And for reference, go look at Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Third question is, how can you show God the fruit of your repentance this week?
Alright, what I fully expect is the Lord is going to speak to you and the truth of his word is really going to pour into your life this week as you really dig into those questions. Get honest with yourself, get honest, get honest with God, and uh, you, I really believe you'll see the blessing of doing that. Hey guys, we're so glad you've been with us today. Just pray uh, God's blessing over you, uh, and we love you. Alright, bye-bye. We are so glad you have joined us today. If you'd like to find out more about Hope Valley Church and what we're all about, just go to www.hopevalley.church. We also invite you to follow us on Facebook at Hope Valley 4SQ. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please take a moment to like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with new videos coming out every week. Hope Valley Church is a church based in Winchester, Virginia that meets in homes around the region. So if you'd like to find out more about home churches, how they work, and how to locate one near you, just go to hopevalley.church house. Thanks again, and may God bless you today.